Good morning, everybody. Good to be able to speak to you all this morning. I'm Pastor Charles. For those of you that I don't know, I'd love to get to meet you uh, after the service. Uh, But as we just read, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 this morning, looking at verses 17 through 31. And um, I want to talk about something that all of us have to deal with right now. Um, It's inflation. Right? My wife, every time she comes home from the grocery store, is like, I'm in tears because of how much everything costs. And on average, the average cost of a grocery bill now is 20% more than it was just two years ago. And, and the same could be said about pretty much everything. Gas prices are up. Housing prices are up. Utility prices are up. Um, insurance prices are up. I mean, Netflix is even charging more now. Like, everything is going up right now. And you're going to be paying a little bit more for everything. But I want to draw our attention this morning to one thing that inflation has not touched. One thing that's price has stayed the same throughout the course of history. And that's the cost of discipleship. In our text, we're going to learn about what it means and what it costs to follow Jesus. And one question I want us to ask ourselves throughout the sermon is, is there anything worth more than following Jesus? This text is going to call us to examine our passions and our priorities. It's going to challenge us to determine if we are willing to pay the price to follow Christ in every area of our life. But also, there's encouragements here in this passage for those of us who are seeking to make disciples and those of us who are currently following Christ. Two weeks ago, um, last time we gathered together, Pastor Sean uh, preached about Jesus' instructions about becoming like a child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he, he did an excellent job painting the picture that, that a child is completely dependent on his parents. They have, they have nothing to offer, and that's how we have to come to Jesus. We got to come with complete humility and desperation, completely dependent upon him for our salvation. And that's how we are to remain as we follow Christ. Now, this story that we're about to look at stands in direct contrast to coming to Jesus as a child. Let's look together. Starting in verse 17, it says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal lives. So we're entering the final stages of Jesus's ministry here in Mark. Uh, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, and that's where he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. So this is going down that final path. And as he sets towards Jerusalem, the Bible says that a man ran up to him. Now, Mark doesn't give us a whole lot of details about this man initially, but we find out that he was a rich man. In the book of Matthew, in the parallel account, we found out that he was a young man. And then Luke tells us that he was a ruler of some sort. So putting all those accounts together, that's where we get the title, the rich young ruler. That's that's who this guy is. He's rich, he's young, he's influential in the community. He he would be the type of guy that would be like on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Like this is a top-notch, somebody who is loved, respected, and admired in his community. But this rich young ruler understood that he was missing something. The language suggests that he was urgent, he was desperate. He runs to Jesus and he kneels down before him. 
Kneeling was a, a, a respect of uh, a, a sign of respect and honor in their culture. So this guy who was used to being respected by others is now kneeling before Jesus. He's lowering himself. It seems like he's on the right path. He addresses Jesus as good teacher. Now the name teacher was somebody that uh, was a name that was often used for Jesus, but it was very unusual to call him good teacher. In fact, there's no parallel to this form of address in Jewish literature. So this guy had a very high, respectful opinion of Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he asks, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Legit question, serious inquiry. This wasn't a situation where Jesus was being set up by the Pharisees. This guy knew that he was missing something and he had little to offer and so that he understood that there there was something beyond this life that he was living for. And he wanted to know what did he have to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus responds in verse 18. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, kind of seems like a, a harsh response to such a respectful greeting. It would seem that Jesus wouldn't have a problem with anyone calling him good. But he calls the address into question. And he tells him, hey, nobody's good except for God. Now, we're actually kind of left to speculation as to why Jesus did this. Um, the Bible doesn't really say, but what makes sense in the context is that Jesus wants this re, uh, rich young ruler to redefine in his mind what is good. He wants the rich young man to, to hold God as the standard and not other people. Jesus wasn't denying his identity or his deity, but this young ruler didn't recognize him as God. He, he recognized him as a good man, a good teacher. <coughs> and from what we learn in the text, this man likely considered himself to be a good person too. Probably somebody that was a good candidate for the kingdom of heaven. Now, look at verse 19. We see their exchange. Jesus continues on. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So Jesus points this man in the direction of the Ten Commandments. Specifically, he draws attention to the last five commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not uh, defraud and honor your father and your mother. Now, do not defraud is probably not one that you're used to seeing in the list. Um, we're used to seeing do not covet. So uh, Jesus didn't just change the command, but we can think of it kind of like this. Uh, defrauding, um, well, coveting is something that happens in the mind and in the heart. Defrauding is an outward action. So the, uh, coveting is, hey, I see something in my mind, in my heart. I want it. I desire it. I lust after it. But defrauding takes it a step further and puts it into action. I see it, I want it, I desire it. So now I'm going to cheat, I'm going to swindle, I'm going to oppress, I'm going to deceive my way to get it. And so Jesus wasn't changing the commandment here. He is just bringing out the application of the commandment as he is listing these out. <coughs> now what do these last five commandments have in common? All these commandments have to do with our relationship with other people. So Jesus is basically telling them, Hey, if you want to inherit eternal life, you need to keep all these commandments. You need to have right relationships with other people. So keep that in mind because we're going to bring that back to bear in just a second. 
The young man says, hey, I've done all those things from my youth. And so at the age of 13, the Jewish boys would have their bar mitzvah. And at that point, they would be required to keep the law for themselves. And so he's saying, hey, since I was of legal age, I've done everything that the commandments have told me to do. Again, it seemed like he was very sincere. He's not only rich, young, and powerful, he's actually a moral guy. He seems, he's the all-American boy. He's the good guy. He's, he's what we, like a Captain America type, even though some of you ladies think Captain America's like Lay's potato chips. Um, inside joke. Uh, but he's the guy that you would bring home to your parents, right? This is a good dude. Notice Jesus' response. Verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus didn't reprimand this young man. He didn't call him out for being a liar, which kind of indicates that he was probably telling the truth. Like this guy was a good moral guy who had kept these commandments. Mark says that Jesus just looked at him and he loved him. He had compassion on him. Some commentators believe that this means that he even like went up and embraced him. He hugged him. Jesus didn't want to turn this guy away. Jesus wanted this guy to obtain the one thing that he was coming to seek after. He wanted him to become a disciple and follow him. But Jesus knew his heart. Jesus informs him, hey, there's one more thing you need to do, one more requirement. Sell everything that you have, give this money to the poor, and come and join me as one of my disciples. Jesus promised, hey, if you're going to do this, if you'll do this one thing, this one last thing on the list, you'll have treasure in heaven, I promise. But the cost of following Jesus was too much for this rich young ruler. Look at verse 22. It said, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It says the young man was disheartened. That word used for disheartened is only used one other time in Scripture, and it actually describes a threatening sky before a storm. So this guy just wasn't, he wasn't just sad, like, this was something that was shocking. It was alarming. He could not imagine his life without his money. So instead of following Jesus that day and inheriting the eternal life that he came for, says that he just walked away. After counting the cost, the cost was too much. Again, this stands in contrast to the discussion about children. Jesus said, hey, become like a child, humble, dependent, desperate, with nothing to offer but love, because of such is the kingdom of heaven. This man had everything to offer. He had the young energy, the prestige, the money, the morality, the respect. He would have been our number one draft pick for the kingdom of heaven. A valuable asset. But he couldn't become like a child with empty hands. 
Jesus did not turn him away. But this man rejected Jesus and turned himself away. When asked what are the two greatest commandments, Jesus said, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, this man seemed like he had to love your neighbor as yourself down. Like he, he kept those five commandments from his youth. But he didn't love God with all his heart. He was not willing to forsake all and follow Jesus. The story is very interesting because it almost seems like Jesus is telling this man, hey, um, your salvation can come by doing good works. If you just sell everything and follow me, you can get into heaven. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. We know that salvation is by faith and not by works. One cannot receive eternal life by selling all his possessions and giving to the poor. We don't see Jesus tell anybody else in Scripture to do what he told this young man to do. So why did Jesus make it seem like it was a requirement for this guy? Well, think of it like this. By, by asking this young man to sell off all of his possessions, Jesus was revealing where his faith really lied. This man's faith, his security, his love was not wrapped up in God. It was wrapped up in his stuff. He was an idolater. He was breaking commandment number one. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. His money was his God and he could not turn away. Jesus told the disciples just a few chapters ago, Mark chapter eight, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? <coughs> the disciples were able to see the reality of this in real time. This man had it all. But he wouldn't deny himself, take up the cross and follow Jesus. He saved his current life, but lost eternal life. He had the world, but he forfeited his soul. He couldn't live without his wealth, even if it meant missing out on eternity. The cost of following Jesus was just too much. As I said, if there's one thing that inflation has not touched, it's the cost of discipleship. Jesus still requires for his disciples to abandon their faith in all else and put their trust in him to follow. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are like this young man. You know you're missing something. You understand that there is life beyond this life and you're searching right now. And you've come to church respectfully, hopefully, sincerely seeking answers from Jesus. Don't make the same mistake that this young man made and turn away because the cost of following him was too much. Understand that a relationship with Jesus is free. Jesus paid it all on the cross. He died and rose again to pay the penalty and to free you from the power of sin. He promises eternity in heaven for all those who will trust in him. But also understand that the demands of a relationship with Christ are high. Jesus calls his disciples to forsake their old sinful passions, forsake their old way of thinking, forsake their old way of living, and follow Jesus in every area of their life. If you don't want to meet the requirements of the relationship, then sadly, you can't be a disciple. 
I think it would be cool to be in the Marine Recon. You know, they're like Navy SEALs, but they're a little bit cooler. And, um, but I looked at the, the training demands. A crazy amount of running and swimming and pull-ups and crunches and all that stuff while carrying this heavy sack. Um, you got to jump out of airplanes so many times. You got to practice landing in different terrains. There's um, intense me mental training. Basically, they're going to torture you so you don't give up information. Um, and if, uh, then there's like the skill training. You got to go to sniper school, tactical school, navigation school, wilderness survival. list goes on. Like there's guys out there that are really ready and willing to go do all that to become part of the Marine Recon. But no matter how cool I think it is, I don't want to do it. I can't meet the demands, so I can't be in the Marine Recon. And that's what we're saying here. If you don't want to pay the cost of being a disciple, then you can't follow Jesus. Again, this doesn't mean that you have to get yourself together or be perfect to have a relationship with Christ. But you have to be willing to admit that you are a sinner that needs to turn from trusting in the things of this world and follow Jesus. Jesus will make you clean if you follow him, but you have to submit to his will and his way and allow him through the Holy Spirit to make you into a new creation. Jesus won't turn you away because you're not good enough. So don't walk away because you think you have too much to lose. This is an important story for us that are followers of Christ too. Because we all know this guy. Perhaps you, he, they are not rich by American standards or have some unusual power or influence, but we all know people that are, that are just considered good people. They would say the same thing as this rich young ruler. I, I've never killed anybody. I'm not cheating on my spouse. I haven't stolen anything. I try to treat people fairly. I love and respect my parents. I'm a good person. Perhaps you've even talked about, to this person about how they could be saved. They would show respect to God. They would say they, that they would follow the teachings of the good teacher Jesus. But when the rubber meets the road, when we talk about repentance from sin and, and faith in Jesus, they just choose to walk away. As I often say, hey, they're, they're okay with Jesus as Savior. They like the idea that somebody would die for them, but they reject him as Lord. They love their money. They love their sexual immorality. They love their drunkenness. They love their pride. They love something in this world too much to forsake it and follow Christ. They can't put their trust in Jesus because their faith is in other things. They've chosen their God, and it's not Yahweh. It's not the God of the Bible. They don't reject Jesus in spite. They just turn away because the cost is too high for them. We know these people who are shocked by the cost of discipleship. And it should break our hearts as, it, as his disciples. Jesus takes this teachable moment. He looks towards his disciples. Look what he says in verse 23. He says, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel 
to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus tells his disciples, hey, it's going to be difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples hear this. They're shocked at what Jesus just said. In their culture, being rich was a sign of being blessed by God. So from their thinking, if anybody was getting into the kingdom of God, it was going to be the wealthy people. But Jesus flips this idea upside down and tells them, actually, no, it's going to be very difficult for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. And for emphasis, Jesus says it again. How difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God. And notice he uses exclamation points. Jesus doesn't do that a whole lot. He was really trying to drive this point home, and then he uses an illustration. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, you may have heard like a story that there in Jerusalem, there is this tiny gate called the needle's eye gate um, where a camel would have to be unloaded and crouched down and, and kind of crawl through the little hole. Um, problem with that, there's no evidence that that actually existed. It sounds good, um, but <laughs> it's probably not what Jesus was actually talking about. Jesus actually adapted this saying from, from old rabbinic teachings from Mesopotamia because they referenced an elephant going through the eye of a needle. Now, where Jesus was, uh, was, uh, was ministering in Palestine, the biggest animal was not an elephant. The biggest animal was a camel. And so that's where Jesus gets this, this illustration from. It was hyperbole saying, hey, there's no way you can fit a, a, a camel through the eye of a needle. But at the same time, the meaning that it was trying to convey was not hyperbole. No rich person could make it into heaven by trusting in their riches. It's impossible. That's what Jesus was uh, trying to tell his disciples. We see their response in verse 26. He says, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? So they were shocked before, but now they've taken it to the next level. They're absolutely dumbfounded. A camel going through the eye of a needle? Like that's absolutely impossible. And so they asked the logical question, then who can get saved? If that guy, the rich guy who had it all together, if he can't be saved, then who can? Jesus answered in verse 27. He looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. You know, that's, that's one of those bumper sticker verses, right? That's the, that's the one we'll see on somebody's tattoo after service. It's, it's, it's a raw, raw statement. All things are possible with God, yes. It's absolutely true. But the context of this verse makes a big difference. Jesus is talking about how difficult it is for someone to forsake their riches and follow Jesus. But he declares, hey, with, with God, it's possible. God can do what man cannot do. He can convict them of their need of a savior and outside of their riches. God, God can bring hope to what seems to be a hopeless situation. And that brings us hope as people who are looking to make disciples today. Because when we tell people, Jesus isn't just asking you to pray a prayer, show up to church once a month, and be a good person. Jesus is calling you to repentance. Jesus is calling you to reorient all your priorities. 
Jesus is calling you to radical obedience. Jesus is calling you to conform your entire life to his word. When you present the gospel in the way that Jesus did, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, it's not that palatable of a message. It's going to be difficult for anyone to answer the call and follow Jesus because the cost of discipleship is so high. As we said before, we know this guy. Again, it might not be monetary wealth, but people have their idols that they hold on to so tightly that make them feel rich. And when we think about the people that we are trying to witness to, people we're trying to lead towards Christ, there's so many obstacles. It could be sin. It could be uh, bad experiences with church and church people. It could be bad teaching that they received over the years. And it seems impossible that they would give up any of these things and follow Jesus. But what Jesus told the disciples holds true for us today. With man, it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. People on their own will not turn away from their idols, but God in his grace can move in people's lives and press upon their hearts and bring them to a place of repentance and complete dependence on God. Salvation is a complete work of God and not, not of man. Titus talks about this in Titus chapter 3. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of God and his loving kindness, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It had nothing to do with us that we came to Jesus. It was all the goodness the loving kindness, the mercy poured out on us richly, his grace that we have come to Christ. He's the author, initiator, completer, sustainer of our salvation. We would not come to him if it wasn't for him. Therefore, there's no impossible situation. Jesus can fit the camel through the eye of the needle. There's nobody that Jesus can't save because all things are possible with God. Well, as is often the case with the disciples, Peter has something to say. Look at verse 28. See, we have left everything and followed you. <coughs> so Peter, and it, with his fellow disciples, um, or giving themselves a pat on the back. They did what the rich young ruler would not do. They forsook all and followed Jesus. So perhaps Peter was looking for some kind of combination for Jesus. Like Jesus has been on their case a lot lately. So maybe he was like, hey, maybe this one time Jesus will say something good. Like, hey, good job, guys. Way to sacrifice. Look at verse 29, what Jesus said. <laughs> Again, probably surprised them when he said, Jesus said, truly I say to you, 
There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will, re- not, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the end of the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So Jesus lets Peter know, hey, bro, like, you really haven't lost anything. You're not suffering from a deficit, Peter. In fact, you have a hundredfold gain. Not just in heaven, but right now. And like, we understand, like, it's clear, like, okay, yeah, in heaven, we'll, we'll be in eternity with Jesus. We get that part. But what is he talking about in this age? Will those that follow Christ receive a new family? We are united with all those who follow Jesus. They became our our brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Will we live in community as the scripture teaches? We will have everything that we need because our family will care for one another. Jesus keeps it 100 though. Or keep it real for you older people. Um, He says there are going to be some persecutions. So it's not like a utopian theory. There's no promise of material gain or or perfect life of following Jesus. But he promises, hey, the last will be first, the first will be last. So that is, if you humble yourself, submit to God, and come to him, hey, you're going to be one of the people that enters into the kingdom of heaven. Come to him like a child. Come to him like you're poor. That's how you enter the kingdom. But if you hold on to these things of this world so you can make yourself first, so you can have the riches of this world, you're going to be last, which means the kingdom is not for you. This passage teaches us so much about discipleship. So let me try to summarize all of it in three short sentences, right? Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. Jesus is worth it. Can we remember that? Salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. Jesus is worth it. Salvation is free because Jesus has already paid the price. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to pay for it. Jesus paid it all. As we mentioned in our text, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem where he would die on the cross to sacrifice for our sins. And without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we would not have hope. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but receive eternal life. And it cost Jesus everything for us to be able to follow him, to have a relationship with him. But Jesus was willing to pay the price. Like the rich young ruler, Jesus loves us and he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Anyone who will turn from sin and self and put their faith in Jesus and follow him will be saved. But we also have to count the cost. Because discipleship is costly. Salvation is free. But following Jesus may cost us everything. Because it's total surrender to God in every facet of our lives. As followers of Christ, uh, we, we can't really undersell what it costs to follow Jesus. Now here in America, I don't think we really realize what it costs to follow Jesus because the risk is so minimal for us. 
I mean, here in America, people will turn away from Jesus because they want to keep sleeping around or get drunk on the weekends, right? Something that, that, that's so cheap, so minuscule, but they'll turn away from Jesus for that. We should ask the 300,000 believers in North Korea about the cost of discipleship or the believers in Yemen or Iran and Tunisia because they can probably articulate a little bit better how Jesus, following Jesus has cost them everything. But they still don't turn away. Following Jesus is costly. And as we said earlier, if you don't want to pay the price of discipleship, then you can't be a disciple. But the return on investment is outstanding. Whatever we feel that we may be losing following Jesus, Jesus promises that it's going to be worth it today and in eternity. So salvation's free, discipleship is costly, Jesus is worth it. And that brings us back to that question that we asked at the beginning. Is there anything worth more to you than following Jesus? Answer that honestly to yourself. Is there anything worth more than following Jesus? Let me close with three quick thoughts of application. I know I gave you guys a double portion this morning, but I haven't preached in a couple, uh, couple weeks, so. First thing, maintain complete dependence as a disciple. Maintain complete dependence as a disciple. We've highlighted that we receive salvation by coming to Jesus as a child, being totally dependent, having complete faith in the work of Christ. Well, as disciples, we have to maintain that same posture of dependence, humility, and submission. As we follow Jesus, he's going to reveal more and more things to us that we need to change to get in line with his will. He's going to start to, to, to pry at our attitudes, our actions, our words, our agendas, Everything has to be on the table. When God speaks to our hearts through his word and he corrects us or he guides us, we have to humbly follow. Colossians 2.6 says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. So, so, so maybe there's an area right now in your life where you can think of something that's just keeping you from following Jesus completely and wholly. Let's determine that, hey, we're going to cast down those idols. We're going to follow Jesus Christ with all our hearts and experience the fullness of joy of being a disciple of Christ. Second thing, reaching people for Christ is difficult, but with God, all things are possible. Remember that there's nobody too far, for, far from God for him to reach. So even though those, there's those people that you feel like are the lost cause, Keep praying, keep sharing, keep living as a godly example. Now, just because he can doesn't mean he will. But our responsibility is to be faithful to proclaim Christ. So, so proclaim Christ faithfully, leave the results up to God. And who knows, you may see a miracle. You may see the, the, the camel come through the eye of a needle. Someone that you never thought would come to Christ maybe worshiping the next day. So reaching people for Christ is difficult, but with God, all things are possible. Third thing, remind yourself that following Jesus is rewarding. 
remind yourself that following Jesus is rewarding. Because sometimes we can be like Peter and kind of pat ourselves on the back like, hey, we've sacrificed everything for Jesus. Or sometimes we're on the other side of that. Sometimes we're thinking about the things and we're like, ah, we're missing out. Sometimes we feel like my life would just be easier if I wasn't following Jesus. It would be, it'd be easier if I could just do things in my own way. So we need to remind ourselves frequently that following Jesus is worth it. As you spend time with God each day, thank him for salvation. Thank him for the hope that you have in Jesus. Thank him for the family of believers that you have in your local church and across the globe. Thank him for the trials that you endure that help you conform to his image. Expressing our thanks to God reminds us that following Christ is costly, but it's so worth it in this life and in the life to come. And finally this morning, if you don't know Christ, I think it's been clear that Jesus loves you. He desires a relationship with you. He wants you to follow him. If you're here this morning, you had that same question as a rich young man. How can I have eternal life? We'd love to speak with you. Come to our prayer table after service. Someone would be willing to talk with you there. And they will show you from God's word how you can know how to receive eternal life from God's word. All right, believers, let's go out. Let's, let's follow Jesus, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, we thank you uh, for your word. And Lord, how it convicts and challenges us. Even passages like this, Lord, that we've probably read time after time after time, God, that you always bring things out to us, Lord, that'll challenge our hearts and make us more into your image. So God, we, we ask that as the followers of Christ, you would help us to heed the words that we've heard this morning. God, help us to be faithful disciples of Jesus. God, help us to maintain that posture of humility and dependence on you and, and submit to you in every area of our life. God, we pray for those, our friends and families and coworkers, Lord, and even maybe people in this room who don't know you. God, you pray, we pray that the Holy Spirit would start to work in their lives and God, that you would do what we can and save those people. And God, we just want to pray, Lord, and thank you for our salvation, those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you did on the cross what we could not do ourselves and pay for our sins. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the gift of your son. And so, Lord, help us in response, Lord, to willingly pay that cost of discipleship, knowing that it's going to be worth it for us today and for all of eternity. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.